You're listening to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Haley Schaff, and my goal is to empower you to become the alpha of your health. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is with Allie Owen, who she was on the podcast last year. We got to know each other through social media. She's come to some of the retreats, and we've just formed a really great friendship. And since she was on the podcast last year, a lot has changed in her life. She gave birth to a beautiful baby girl, and that's a big part of what we talk about today is with her profession being an occupational therapist, really working on not only having a healthy pregnancy, but also now working on healthy development of her baby girl. This was something that I was super interested in because there's so many things, there's so much knowledge out there and so many things that I think that people should know that maybe they don't. And we talk a lot about those things today, postural things that are really important, not only in terms of pregnancy, but then obviously with baby and different tongue positions and how that can form a healthy jaw and mouth and become more of a nose breather versus a mouth breather. And we talk about so many different things throughout her journey with motherhood. And then now, uh, being a mom and kind of using her expertise with her beautiful baby girl. So super excited for you guys to hear this awesome conversation that we had. And I hope that you learn a lot because I know that I did. Allie, I'm so excited to have you back. Congratulations on your pregnancy. That is a huge reason I am so excited to chat with you again because there's so many questions surrounding pregnancy, especially from an occupational therapist perspective in terms of development and getting ready for conception. And I was just like so blown away watching kind of your stories on like, hey, these are toys or um, you know, swings or uh, uh-huh. pouches, you know, that people typically get for kids, but this is why I'm not putting it on my registry. And I'm like, my mind is like, whoa, <laughs> I need to like, once everything kind of settles in, I need to just have her on and ask kind of all the, all the things for personal reasons. But also, I mean, there's so many pregnant patients that I work with and people that just, I think should, should know this information. So I'm so excited. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me back. I was actually looking um, at my calendar and the last time we we recorded together was probably around the time that Morgan was conceived and the Oh really? Pod, yeah, and the podcast came out like shortly after I found out I was pregnant. So I just think it's like a cool for full circle moment cuz now she's almost 3 months old. Oh my gosh, yeah, you're right because I knew that you were pregnant at the May retreat last year but yes. you hadn't announced it to anybody else and I think we recorded I think the podcast came out around the time of that retreat I want to say. I think so, so yeah. So that yeah, that makes sense that you found out around the time that you were pregnant. So that is, that is crazy. Wow. I didn't even yeah. plan that. <laughs> I know. I mean, me either, but it's just kind of cool. I'm so excited. So if anybody didn't listen to the first podcast that we did, I'll make sure I link that in the show notes so they can go and listen to that. But today I definitely really want to focus on obviously pregnancy and now, um, you know, proper development and all the things that kind of we need to know. So just kind of to catch the listeners up to kind of where you are in terms of your life and, you know, what we're going to be talking about today. Talk us a little bit about, okay, your pregnancy journey and what that looked like in terms of things that you were thinking about as soon as you found out that you were pregnant, kind of what are some things that maybe people, if 
who aren't aware of kind of some of these OT perspectives or just mm-hmm. kind of developmental things, what are some of the things that you kind of started to prepare your body for? Sure. Um, full disclaimer before I get into that, I do have my daughter on me. So if you hear any weird noises, that is her. Oh my gosh, um, that's okay. She is not sleeping, but um, so let's see. A quick rundown on, I, I know we went over this in the last podcast, but just on occupational therapy in general, um, I was a pediatric occupational therapist um, before I stopped working in a clinic, and I really worked with kids on just helping them thrive in every area that they potentially may not have been thriving in. So whether that was school or at home or with their emotions, or um, I really liked working with kids with feeding difficulties. So that is kind of just the overall um, background on what I did as an OT. And then, um, I also have a background in holistic nutrition. So I really liked blending the two and helping kids, um, or helping families work with their kids to just shift what they were feeding their kids and eating, Mm -hmm. um, just in order to, you know, like help their nervous systems regulate, from that like baseline level, because I was doing a lot of band-aid type of therapies and interventions of just emotional regulation that was not addressing the root cause. Because you know, as well as anybody, our food impacts our mood, our emotions, our just everything physically with us. Um, And I wasn't really able to address that in the clinic. So I've been working with some families um, privately just to help them in that area. And I've just been seeing great results. So that's with awesome. all of and that, that's something we talked yeah. about a lot on the first podcast was it is. like a lot of the nervous system stuff, like the picky eating and how that the root causes and stuff of that, which that was super, super interesting. Yeah. And I think along with a lot of the other stuff we're probably going to talk about today, a lot of what we talked about in the first episode is not really well known. It's just like, Oh, you have a picky eater. You have a picky eater for life. And that's not the case at all. Um, But going into my own pregnancy, it was kind of like a cool case study on myself to um, practice what I was preaching almost because I had been working with a couple um, like expecting moms and a couple new moms. And it was just cool for me to now like dive into that role myself and implement everything I was teaching them to see how it worked with myself. Um, Everybody's individualized, obviously, but um, that was, that was a cool journey for me. And just thinking about what I wanted my pregnancy to look like, um, it was vastly different than what I thought. I mean, overall, like I did have a really smooth pregnancy, but a lot of the nutrition background I have almost was a detriment to me because I had a ton of food aversions and I just really could not eat a lot of the foods that I knew were going to nourish me and nourish. um, I have a daughter, but I didn't know she was my daughter at the time. We didn't find out, but nourish my baby. Um, And that was really, really hard for me. So I kind of channeled my energy from all the stuff that I knew I should be eating to, okay, where can I get the nutrition I need but also not make myself go crazy because I can't eat, I can't sit down and like eat a piece of steak. Mm -hmm. Um, So I channeled a lot of that energy into, okay, what do I want my postpartum to look like? And this is where my OT lens came in a lot because occupational therapy is growing in the field of women's health and supporting women in the prenatal and postpartum period. 
Um, so I shifted my focus to what, like I said, what do I want my postpartum to look like so that I can thrive and then, you know, adjust to the new normal of having a baby. So Mm -hmm. for me, that looked a lot like towards the end, I did a lot of meal prepping for postpartum. Um, I, we, live in a super small house. I did not spend any energy on creating like a big fancy nursery or getting a lot of like newborn fun items. I channeled all of that energy into spending money on food and prepping meals um, to nourish myself postpartum because I knew if I couldn't nourish myself the way I wanted to in pregnancy, I could at least um, do that in postpartum. And it was wild. Like all of my aversions left my body when the baby did, it was crazy. Um, so So they lasted all the way until the end. The day I went into labor, I still had aversions. It was crazy. Um, and like nothing I was anticipating at all, especially since like food and nourishing myself was so much a part of my like preconception journey. Um, it was just like getting the rug pulled out from under me to like sit down and be so nauseous trying to force down, I don't know, like a a piece of steak or some grass fed beef of any Mm -hmm. other kind or chicken or whatever. It was like animal proteins were totally off the table. I drank a lot of raw milk. That's good. So yeah. So we always joke with um, our farmer at our farmer's market that we get our raw milk from that she was a raw milk baby. Um, (laughs) So I did, I did get some, um, some nourishment from that, obviously, but um, I was able to prep so much for postpartum. And now every woman I know that is pregnant, I tell them to focus more on that because it made a world of difference. My husband and I didn't have to cook a meal until I think seven weeks, maybe after. Yeah. Okay. So what are, what are some of the things that you focus on prepping? Cause that was something that I was yeah. super interested in. I, I actually brought this up cause I had a patient the other day who she's recently pregnant and we're kind of talking about things that she should be thinking about. I mean, she's very early on, but I brought up the fact of like kind of prepping food. And I was like, that's kind of something that I didn't really think about until I've kind of been seeing more of it. I'm like, wow, that's so smart. Um, yeah. what did that, what did that look like? Um, for me, it looked like I recommend starting earlier than I did. Um, I would recommend like every week that you cook something um, just to make extra and then freeze it because I waited until uh, probably like I had four or five weeks left and then I just like batch cooked a ton of stuff and that was a little more stressful. But um, anytime in pregnancy that you're making something super nourishing, so think things made with bone broth and – like high quality meat and vegetables. Um, Obviously, like if you're trying to eat seasonally, this gets a little tricky because Mm -hmm. what's in season when you're pregnant isn't going to be what's in season when you have the baby. But um, like I was pregnant mostly through like the summer and fall. So when I really wanted like root vegetables and nourishing things in the winter after I had my daughter, um, I didn't have a ton of those prepped, Mm -hmm. but you, you make do with what you have. Um, But in terms of, just things that are super nourishing in the postpartum period, high, high protein. Um, The body just went through like a giant feat in pregnancy and in labor um, and needs so much more protein to like rebuild tissues. Um, 
collagen especially too. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, like I said, like we had tons of soups and I just like was up to my neck in bone broth. Um, <laughs> and let's see. Um, that was really the main thing. And then just getting back to all the meats and stuff that I couldn't eat, uh, with those being super high in protein, obviously I knew I was rebuilding tissues that way. And then the other huge thing for postpartum is just replenishing minerals. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm sure you talk with your patients about this. Um, and you've probably touched on it on the podcast before, but pregnancy is so minerally depleting Mm -hmm. because the baby is taking just about everything. Um, they taking everything they need from mom. So replenishing minerals is huge. So I focused a lot on hydration with minerals in the postpartum period. Breastfeeding makes you insanely thirsty, but I knew that unless I added minerals, whether that was through, um, like trace minerals or salt or, Mm -hmm teas or herbs or anything like that. Like I knew I had to do that every single time I drank any water. Otherwise I was just going to, it wasn't going to help. So those are probably like the two main things that I thought about when I was prepping stuff for postpartum was how can I up the minerals of this, whether that was through herbs or salt or, or those things, or um, like, how can I add more protein to this? So those were the two main things I focused on. For sure. Was there anything specifically, um, kind of, uh, I guess body work or anything like in terms of once you got pregnant and you were kind of maybe into like the second and third trimester in terms Mm -hmm. of like pelvic floor therapy, specific things that you did, um, to kind of help development, because I know that's obviously a huge thing that you talk about and Mm -hmm. we'll get into like specifically childhood development in terms of like tongue ties and tongue position, like super interesting things that honestly, most people probably haven't heard of unless you learned about it or were aware, but was there anything that you could work on in pregnancy and in relation to childhood development or even prepping your body for pregnancy uh, or childbirth? The, the second part is definitely what you can do more in pregnancy. So prepping yourself for Mm -hmm. labor and delivery. Um, once, like conception happens, like you, you, you have control over epigenetic type of things. So I really focused on, um, like I already minimized toxins in my environment, but even more so when I was pregnant, um, like I didn't go get my nails done once. Um, just, I, I don't ever dye my hair, but like, I wouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. Just like little things like that. Um, I focused more on, so that's, I guess what would impact the growing baby in addition to nutrition. But for me, I focused a ton on um, just awareness of what was happening in my body. Um, I ended up having a completely unmedicated labor, which I really wanted. Um, And I attribute all of that to what I was able to do preparatory wise beforehand. So um, let me just make sure I remember everything. I went to acupuncture. (laughs) I went to acupuncture probably... Towards the beginning, I went pretty frequently because I think um, I went to a fertility acupuncturist and she works a lot on like making sure a pregnancy is maintained. Um, So I went probably every other week in the beginning and then we spaced it out um, probably once every three to four weeks. And then towards the end, acupuncture is actually super effective in inducing labor. Mm -hmm. I I didn't go over my 40 weeks, but my last acupuncture appointment 
she did different points than she had ever done before. And I went into labor two days later. So yeah. (laughs) Um, So that was really cool to keep up throughout. And like anytime I had like pesky pregnancy symptoms, whether it was heartburn or um, I dealt with a lot of uh, like tailbone sacrum pain, which Mm -hmm. I'll get into when I talk about um, pelvic floor and chiropractic. But anytime I had anything like that, I voiced it to her and she was like, okay. And did her little brilliant thing she does and, um, made a lot of my symptoms either lessen or completely go away. So that's awesome. Yeah. How frequently were you going to acupuncture? It, it shifted throughout pregnancy. Um, probably the majority of pregnancy I was going every two to three weeks. Okay. And then like, if anything came up that I was like, wow, I, I need something. I just called her and she got me in. So, um, that was really cool. And then starting in my second trimester, I went to a Webster certified chiropractor weekly. Mm -hmm. Um, and I recommend that to absolutely everybody. She, I, I attribute the position that my daughter was in for the end of my pregnancy. She was in like the perfect position for labor. Um, I a hundred percent attribute that to the chiropractor because I would go and she would release different ligaments and, mm-hmm. um, just create more space for the baby. And it was incredible. Um, I, I actually changed chiropractors. I had been seeing a chiropractor for probably two years. Um, but he wasn't Webster certified and I knew in order for me to have the absolute benefit, I wanted somebody who like specialized on pregnant women. So I shifted and I went to her and that was incredible. Um, and she helped a lot, like I mentioned with that tailbone sacrum pain I was having. Um, I think it was at the end of my second trimester, the way my baby like dropped and repositioned, um, was effective for her and where she was gestation wise, but it put so much pressure on my pelvic floor in crazy ways. So between going to the chiropractor and I also have a friend who's a pelvic floor occupational therapist. Um, so I saw both of them picked their brains, worked on stability exercises, um, for my pelvic floor. And that helped decrease the pain a lot. What were some of the exercises that you you worked on? Um, there's a resource it's called mama stay fit. They're on Instagram. They're on YouTube. They're probably on Facebook. They are incredible. Um, I used a lot of their exercises. Um, so it's kind of hard, I guess, to describe specifically what I did, but it, the pain that I was feeling feels like a pain that you need to stretch out but stretching didn't help. Um, so I had to do a lot of like stability of the surrounding muscles, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. um, Like I felt like I needed to stretch my glute, but it was my glute on the other side that wasn't stable. So it was pulling tension. Mm. Um, so I used just a lot of, they have like so, so many resources for, um, like posterior pelvic pain, anterior pelvic pain, And I highly recommend them to anybody. A lot of their resources are free. They have some paid courses, but um, I just watched a lot of their free exercise videos um, and that helped a ton. So nice. Yeah. 
Nice. Is it okay? So all of that was kind of, was there anything else that we haven't much mentioned in terms of like pregnancy therapy prep? Um, I think the main thing that I also focused on in addition to everything we've talked about is mindset. Um, I think, I know you've talked about the business of birth control on your Mm -hmm. podcast before. Um, the same woman who made that film made what's called the business of being born. Mm -hmm. Um, yep. I've been meaning to watch that one. Yes. I watched it. I made my husband watch it. Um, (laughs) which was comical. Um, but it's incredible. It's like as eye-opening as the business of birth control is, if not more. Um, That film's older, right? I believe so. Yes. I think that was their first like kind of big one that they came out because then the business of birth control came out like last year or something. So that makes sense. Yeah. I I don't know exactly when it came out around the time Ricky Lake had her second child. So whenever that is (laughs) sometime in the two thousands, I believe, but um it was so eye-opening to realize like how medicalized our country has made birth and how we've become so far removed from the innate ability of a woman to give birth um like it's kind of what we're created to do right uh so watching that like I already had a plan to I had a midwife. I was going through a birth center. Like I already had a plan to try to do as unmedicated as possible. But watching that film, I was just like, no, it's not an as possible. Like I can do this. Um, So I worked a ton on my mindset. It was a lot of um, just educating myself on the birth process in general. Um, I think if women don't know what's happening in their body when it's happening, it can be really scary. Totally. But the entire time, I either knew exactly what was happening or I was just like so in tune with feeling what was happening that it didn't matter that I didn't know what was happening. Right. Um, so like, it's funny. My hu- <clears throat> my husband is like, you know, you didn't complain once. Like, how did you not complain? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I would just, I leaned into what I was feeling and like let it progress the way it needed to progress. And um, by the time I, got a breath and could complain it was over and I was on to the next like contraction or feeling or whatever wow. so um and I, I I attribute all of that to like all the mental stuff I did ahead of time I listened to a lot of um like birth meditations while I was falling asleep oh nice where did you yeah. were those just kind of like on YouTube or Spotify um I picked around so I did um I forget what her name is but her birth course is called built to birth And she has a lot of meditations in that. So I fell asleep to those a lot. Um, There's some on YouTube that are great, either from her or other people. Um, Christian hypnobirthing, I know a lot of people use. Um, I didn't didn't have that downloaded, but a lot of people really like that. Um, And some people say, you know, well, if you fall asleep listening to them, how, how are they actually effective? But your brain is subconsciously, like if it's still playing after you fall asleep, your brain is subconsciously um, Mm -hmm. receiving that information and those affirmations and stuff. So I thought that was really beneficial. I made up affirmations for myself. Like I wrote them on cards, but I I never used them in labor. My labor was really fast and unexpected. So I probably would have used them if I had a second to breathe and like need – some motivation, but 
Um, let's see what else. I had a doula and I think doulas are really, really great. Um, just, I mean, my husband and I were very educated on birth, but she was just a set, a steady presence. Um, like she just did her thing when I was in labor. She set up essential oils. She set up candles. Like I didn't think about anything. She just awesome. did her thing and she played my music. Um, cause I had a, a playlist of just songs that like make me feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, so that helped. And then, oh, back to the education piece. I did, um, I just did a lot of like learning about the birth process. So understanding like what happens to the uterus when it's contracting, because if I reminded myself of that, I was like, okay, this isn't really painful. It's like, I'm holding a plank for 30 extra seconds that I don't Mm want to be holding it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wouldn't say that I thought it was pain-free, but it definitely wasn't painful because I knew what was going on. So my brain wasn't fighting my body. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. So I think that's like everything. Obviously, like... No, I I mean, that was... I mean, we definitely covered a lot, even just with kind of... I mean, I obviously know that that's a whole nine-month process. (laughs) So as you were in that time, what were also some of the things... So, cause this is really what prompted me to like put a pin and being like, okay, after she's kind of given birth, recovered, like I need to have her on to talk about all this great stuff that she's sharing. So during this time, you're obviously sharing a lot of really important things on, okay, you know, we're looking, we're, we're building out a registry. We're looking uh-huh. at kind of getting these really great developmental, um, I don't know whether you call them product, not developmental. I don't know. It's not always like, like a tool or, um, wearable and things. Yeah. Yeah. Like what are, what are some things that people should think about, um, basic things that you feel like most people should know, but don't know. Overall less is more. Um, I think we are bombarded with baby culture. Mm -hmm. Um, whether that's like, you know, having the cutest nursery or, having like the most up-to-date toys and gadgets and all of that. Ancestrally, babies played with things that were around. Um, You know, kind of how we talk about with ancestral eating, like they ate what they had. Um, Babies played in the dirt. They played on the floor. They played with pots and pans. Um, They played with other siblings and dogs and all that stuff. So um, in creating my registry, I wanted any like product I put on there. I wanted to focus on like a non-toxic option. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so you feel like that-, that was accessible or more accessible than you would have thought or yes. Was- yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. That's good I don't know. know how much it turned some of my like registry lookers off because they were probably like, Oh, like this girl's crazy. She doesn't want toxins or whatever, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't really care. Um, so I did like a lot of non-plastic stuff. So silicone or wooden, um, and really just focused on basic kind of open-ended things. So my biggest advice for people looking at baby products is the more it does, the less your baby does. Mm. So like, for instance, like blocks, like they don't do anything. But baby can do so much with them. They can stack them. They can count them. They can sort them. Like all of those things. Um, 
but like a a toy that you press a button and play mu- plays music that's kind of all it does mm-hmm. so not that there's anything inherently wrong with that mm-hmm. it's just going to benefit a baby's development more for their curiosity their creativity and all of that to have to come up with things to do with a toy mm-hmm. versus like mm-hmm. press a button and you hear I don't know Mary had a little lamb whatever it is so it's like less stimulating absolutely um so yeah that's kind of back to that less is more thing so it's less stimulating um there's less like bells and whistles um Mm -hmm. and so I focused a lot on that and then I just I focused so this is kind of my OT perspective coming back in I focused a lot on things that would help develop her sensory system Mm -hmm. so like different textured toys and items Mm -hmm. um things that would help. So when babies are born, they don't really have good vision, but they benefit from looking at high contrast, like black and white and red things. So I focused a lot on that for infant Mm -hmm. toys. Um, And then I didn't have like the big thing in the OT community is um, container use. And what that means is just like things that you put a baby in for Mm -hmm. either safety or to get something done or to quote unquote entertain them. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the time, those are negatively impacting development. They're great. Are you you talking about like the, like the bouncy things? Yeah. There's maybe a strap and it's kind of like standing them up. Yes. So we have, um, we have one, it's, it's not a baby Bjorn brand, but it's people will be familiar with that. Um, it's like a baby Bjorn bouncer where they're kind of like Mm -hmm. reclined, um, in it. And we do use that because like, it's, it's not really putting, um, her in an awkward position or putting extra pressure on any of her joints. So like if she wants to be near us, but we're making dinner or something, we'll stick her in that and just like bounce her. Um, but we, anytime we spend in that, we spend twice as much on the floor. Yep. Um, but then, yeah, like there's nothing, nothing worse than the jumpers that like hang off the door and babies can like go in them and it's so cute cause they're jumping, but jumping isn't a developmental skill until about two years old. So their, their brains don't really know what they're doing. And then their body is under more stress than it should be in terms of like stress on their hips and their knees and their ankles. Um, so like we didn't have any of, any of that, the door hanging jumpers, the, um, like bouncers that you can stand in because, um, I don't, I don't really want her standing any earlier than her body's ready to. Mm -hmm. Um, because once she learns to stand, she's going to learn, Oh, now I can take a step and walk and I'm going to skip crawling because I can get Places walking faster and I don't want her skipping crawling because crawling is a hugely necessary milestone mm-hmm. um, and I don't need to get on my soapbox but they uh, they took crawling off of the CDC milestone I um, saw that yeah so that's a whole battle that developmental therapists are fighting now because um, then you see like pediatricians or um, other professionals who aren't as knowledgeable on childhood development say that it's okay your baby doesn't need to crawl um but crawling it really is because crawling works on so so many physical and cognitive things Mm -hmm. um 
that when it's skipped, obviously, like if a baby skips crawling, like they're still going to be a functioning adult, but there are going to be things that they have difficulty with because Mm -hmm. they didn't crawl. So um, those are really like the big things um, in terms of our registry and just developmental toys and things that we either focused on or didn't. Um, I'm trying to think. I think that kind of encompasses everything. Did you have any follow-up no, questions? No, because about- I was definitely asking, like wondering your opinion about, and I, I like that it's kind of a balance because it's not like, okay, we're not getting anything that, I think people put a child in something like one of those bounce things or yeah. just kind of like harness things just so that they can maybe like cook dinner, put that on the on yeah. the table and then be able to, like you said, you're doing twice as much ground time as you would yes. as that. Whereas some kids are living in that all day long and it's, training muscles that shouldn't be worked on yet. Cause they're still missing the crawling development. So that's, that was, I'm really glad that you clarified that. Cause that's something that I was a little confused on mm-hmm. and something that, I don't know, it's just hard to know what, what is the right thing to do, but it makes sense. And I think you have a, a good balance with everything, which is, yeah. Which is great. And I think like, I know I talked about this the other day, but we were out running errands like all day long and she was in her car seat basically all day. Um, and you know, the car seat's a container too, because it keeps Mm -hmm. them in a specific uh, position. But that was just the reality of our day. So Mm -hmm. I, it wasn't going to benefit me to beat myself up over that. We just came home and she was on the floor the rest of the day. Um, so that's like the big thing in terms of balance, because yeah, parents still have to shower and go to the bathroom (laughs) and cook dinner and like do things. Um, you can't be holding your baby all the time, as sweet as that can be. Um, the reality is that, you know, if you want them close to you and you don't want to put them like on the floor in the kitchen so you can step on them, put them in something for five minutes or whatever you need. Just make sure you get as much, if not double the amount of time, just free play on the floor, um, especially um, on their belly and what's called tummy time, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's going to develop all the like pre-rolling and pre-crawling skills that they need. Um the neck that, musculature yes. they have to kind of like learn to hold their head up. I mean, it makes so much sense when you say it, but it's things that like me not being a parent, I don't think about that. Right. And I'm sure right. I would. I mean, you, I would, you, I feel like you get into so many rabbit holes and you learn so much you if do. you didn't know before you learn it kind of as you're in the process. But that's just a huge reason I wanted to have this podcast. Cause I feel like it can be just so intimidating. There's so much information yeah. that you have to learn. Absolutely. And like, with the whole back to sleep campaign that happened in the nineties and kids being on their back so often for sleeping, they're not like, I forget what the statistic is, but it was something like, you know, babies spent 12 to 18 hours or something on their bellies in like before the nineties. But now because they're sleeping on their backs a lot of the time, um, and they're only getting tummy time during certain wake windows and, you know, if they're only getting it in little spurts, it's hard for them. So they cry and they're fussy and, you know, parents don't like seeing their babies fussy. So they'll pull them out of tummy time. Um, and it's crazy. something like they get maybe two hours of it now versus before when it was upwards of 15, 18. Um, so that just so much impacts their, extensor muscles in their back and their neck. Um, and I think that's why we see a lot of 
the delayed milestones and crawling and, and stuff like that, just because the, their little bodies aren't strengthening those muscles for as long. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, but I don't know, our daughter sleeps on her belly cause that's how she sleeps best. So I think every parent needs to just figure out what works for them and what they feel comfortable with versus just going with every single recommendation that's out there because for sure it doesn't work for every baby. And if it's going to stress you out more to, you know, swaddle your baby that doesn't like to be swaddled, then don't swaddle them. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. They'll survive. No, <laughs> Can we so. switch topics a little bit and talk a little bit about I really want to hear about tongue ties, tongue yeah. position, because that's something that you've been sharing a lot about, and it's very, very interesting. It is super interesting. So um, I'm definitely not an expert on the topic. Um, I saw a lot of tongue ties and the effects of just restrictions in the mouth when I worked in the clinic with older kids. So a lot of that contributed to picky eating or just um, even things like poor handwriting. If they had tension in their mouth, that was translating to the rest of their body. Um, So I saw it a lot in older kids. Now, with babies, I wasn't as familiar with it, but it was on my radar, especially since my husband and I both have a tongue tie. Um, And a way to kind of, I'll give you a little tip, a way to check if you do have a tongue tie is to suction your tongue to the roof of your mouth and then try to open your jaw. And if you like can't open your jaw very wide or you can visibly see like that um, attachment from your tongue to the floor of your mouth, um, then you probably have a tongue tie. But how, how high should you be able to open your jaw? Mm, like I can only open it probably an inch, maybe. Um, I'm measuring my <laughs> I think I, know, I too have bad one, but I, I mean, so many people do. And actually this is super interesting and something I'm learning a little bit more about. It's really tied to the MTHFR mutation, mm-hmm, which I have. Yeah. Well, so, I would, I don't know for sure, but I'm, I'm 98% positive. Yeah. Um, wasn't it like a crazy percentage of the population does or probably does anyway? It's at least 40%, if not yeah. more. Yeah. So, um, so it was on my radar. And when our daughter was born, I, I checked her tongue and I definitely saw like a restriction. And when she cried, her tongue didn't move very much. Um, so I sought out an IBCLC, which is an internationally board certified lactation consultant, um, because I was also having some implications or some like symptoms myself of a poor latch when she was breastfeeding. So Visually, I saw it, and then functionally, I knew it was starting to impact her and me. So I sought out an IBCLC, which I recommend to absolutely everybody um, that wants to or is trying to breastfeed and is having any difficulty because they are incredibly knowledgeable and it's worth the time and money you're going to spend on them when your baby is first born to like allow you to breastfeed for a long period of time and allow you to not be in pain and baby to gain weight and function optimally. So I saw her, she confirmed that, um, our daughter did have a tongue tie. So there's a couple routes that people can go. Um, she also had an upper lip tie. So like if you and I feel with our tongue where our lip attaches to like our gums and our jaw, that 
attachment was super tight for her. So she like wasn't really able to move her lip um, at all. And she was compensating a lot with other muscles in her mouth when she was breastfeeding. And then she also had a cheek tie. So it's hard to feel if we don't have one, but anywhere along your upper jaw where it would attach to your cheek, she had like um, tissue there affecting um, her mobility in her cheek and the tension in her cheek. So a couple routes that you can go when you either suspect things like this or get diagnosed with things like this are a release. Um, I never recommend immediately getting a release because you're releasing the tissues, but you're not solving the functional issue. Um, and you're not retraining any muscles. So we did a lot of pre-release therapy, um, just myself at home. I did a lot of like stretching of those tissues and massaging them out to decrease some tension. Um, we also saw a chiropractor who specializes in craniosacral therapy, Mm -hmm. um, which was incredibly beneficial. And, then we did pursue a release, but that was after like two or three weeks of bodywork therapy ahead of time. Um, we saw a dentist that actually, I don't think any dentist should do a release without ensuring that their patients are doing some type of pre and post op therapy because it just increases the success of the release. Um, so we did that, we got the release and then it's followed by a lot of like wound. I mean, I say wound care. It's, it's a open wound in the mouth, but the mouth heals so quickly um, that it wasn't like there wasn't bandages or anything like that when you think of wound care. But we did that. We did a lot of stretching um, and a lot of suck retraining to help retrain. So we did it at six weeks. So she had six weeks and then also I forget when in utero. I think it might be at week 14 that the tongue um, detaches from the floor of the mouth and then like what's left is the attachment that they're born with. So in utero, she had been developing different patterns. And then for six weeks after she was born, she was developing um, the muscles that she was using improperly. So we kind of had to retrain those muscles afterwards as well. So um, that was our journey. And, you know, I still do the exercises every once in a while, but we're almost two months out from her release. So she's doing really well. And um, for that, I'm grateful. But it definitely was a process that I never recommend parents enter without support and knowledge because you need the knowledge and support to make sure that it is effective and you're not just like, paying a bunch of money to go through this procedure and think everything's going to be fine afterwards and things might be fine, but they also can be um, enhanced by doing all of the other therapy and body work around, around the release. So that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, Is there anything else developmentally in terms of, um, you know, bottle versus breast or Mm -hmm. anything like that, that can continue to have, a role with that at all? Absolutely. So, um, it's hard because like, like I said, adults are probably walking around with tongue ties all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, it's, it's kind of that 
the same concept of the food and like, oh, we turned out fine. Yeah. But what else have we been compensating for our whole life Mm -hmm. because of the tension that we have in our mouth? So um, it's seen a lot like if an adult has a tongue tie and then also has symptoms like TMJ or migraines or neck tightness or um, I mean, our the fascia in our mouth is connected to the fascia throughout the rest of our body. So any tension there can cause tension Mm -hmm. other places too. So that is kind of a lasting impact um, if it's not released or even, I mean, even if it is released, um, you know, we all still have tension Yep, that originates maybe from our mouth, maybe from somewhere else. Um, so I'd say that's the biggest thing is just different places. It causes tension and symptoms. Um, I, it's crazy. I hear stories of like adults getting released And like all of a sudden they can like touch their toes and their jaw pain is immediately gone. And it's crazy. Um, Is there anything at home that you can help release it, release any of that tension with her um, or even that you can do on yourself? Yeah. So I'm actually um, this spring getting trained in CFT. So it's like um, craniosacral therapy, but it also takes into account the fascia in our body. So that's what the F is for. Um, so it's craniosacral fascial therapy. Um, so I actually, it'll be really cool because I'll have the knowledge to work on her, to work on my family, um, and then to potentially see clients um, and help them as well. So there are different like at-home things that can be done. Um, mm-hmm. I just obviously have a lot still to learn about them, but even like just getting in her mouth and getting her acclimated to different stretches is beneficial right now because if she's holding less tension in like her cheeks, then she's going to eat more effectively and things like that. So, Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing that I wanted to touch on when you asked like what other things can be impacted. Um, and I think I mentioned this towards the beginning of our chat, but picky eating is huge in kids with unresolved tongue ties because if you think about look like the, look at the tie look at look at that <laughs> the tie between the two exactly and no pun intended exactly. um, <laughs> I just realized that after I saw that I'm like wow that's corny <laughs> yeah it's okay um but like if you think about if the tongue is tied depending on the severity of it it's not really going to be able to move around in the mouth and manipulate food So if a kid, they're not going to be able to tell you like, hey, I don't think my tongue works. Um, But if their tongue is having a hard time manipulating the food in their mouth, they're just going to like want to avoid those foods. And I mean, I don't blame them. I wouldn't really want to eat something that's difficult for me to eat either. Um, But so that's like a big thing. And then also um, with how the tongue helps the palate and the sinuses form. Mm -hmm we want our tongue to be resting on the roof of our mouth. And for yeah, me, that's so interesting. It is. And because like, I think when I was more of a, a mouth breather, like uh-huh. before I started mouth taping, I was totally a mouth breather. Mm-hmm. But now I, now that I'm breathe through my nose a significant amount of the time, I notice that it just naturally rests on my mouth. Like, I don't know if that's something yeah. that I'm just making up in my mind that it, it maybe <laughs> always did that, but I was, especially after learning and seeing all this stuff out there, I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's just something like, I didn't even think about. Yeah. There's a reason that mouth taping 
people see huge health benefits from it. A hundred percent. Just, just like, um, past just sleeping better. Um, because when our tongue is resting on the roof of our mouth, we are breathing through our nose. So our air is being filtered Mm -hmm. through our nose. Like our air is not filtered through our mouth. Um, so it's filtered through our nose. It also, the roof of our mouth is the floor of our sinus cavity. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people will see like improved sinus symptoms and, and things like that. Um, a big indication that you either had or have a tongue tie, um, or just, you grew up not suctioning your tongue to the roof of your mouth. So your palate formed in a more narrow um, shape is if your tongue feels too big for your mouth. So I, I kind of laugh when I say that, because I said to my husband early on when we were dating, I was like, does your tongue ever feel too big for your mouth? And he was like, uh, no, are you good? <laughs> but just like, random thoughts. <laughs> just random. But when I suction my tongue to the roof of my mouth, I kind of, I kind of have to like curl it because my jaw isn't wide enough. It doesn't really fit. Um, so that's just like, and then, you know, I had sinus issues and asthma and things like that. So mm-hmm. there's no direct, like I had those issues because I have right. a tongue tie, but it's definitely all connected. So knowing that, is there anything like, what if you are noticing that your baby Morgan is having, if she's breathing out of her, her mouth, like what are things yeah. that you can do at a very early stage? Obviously we're not going to mouth tape a baby. I don't think <laughs> no. like, what are things that we can do to just, you know, ensure, because if I've been able to be, you know, in being alive for a significant more time than she has been able mm-hmm. to turn being a mouth breather into a nose breather and be able to fix so many of these things, how can we prevent that or, or really shape what we're looking for at such an early age. Yeah. So it's a little easier once kids have language and can understand because mm-hmm. you can teach them to do so. Mm-hmm. But for babies, um, one thing I do when I notice that her mouth is open is I just like if it's open enough for me to peek in there and check because sometimes her tongue is suctioned to the roof of her mouth. Her mouth is just open mm-hmm. depending on like her head position. Um But if it's not, what I'll do is I'll gently like press underneath her chin, Um, not the tip of her chin, but kind of halfway between the tip of her chin and where her throat is. So think of like that being the base of her tongue. So I'll push that closed and then just stay there and massage for a second. And that'll encourage her tongue to raise to the roof of her mouth. Okay. Um, Okay. It doesn't, it doesn't always work, but that is like the best way to do it in a baby. Um, and and if, if they have their mouth closed, cause obviously like if our mouth is closed, our tongue doesn't need to be on the roof of our mouth. Like we can rest with it on the floor. Um, so if she has her mouth closed and I just want to check, I'll do the same, I'll do the opposite thing. So I'll just kind of take my finger on the front of her chin and gently pull her lower jaw down and Mm -hmm. do a tongue check. And then if it's on the roof of her mouth, I either close her mouth again, or I just take my hand off and let her chill. And if it's on the floor of her mouth, I'll do that massage that I talked about. I'm sitting here (laughs) trying (laughs) to do these things on myself. It's kind of actually uncomfortable for it to be on the roof or on the bottom of my mouth. Like it's more comfortable for it to be resting on the top. Yeah. And I think for people who are super tongue tied, it probably would be very uncomfortable to have it on the roof of their mouth because it would be stretching more. Um, But yeah, I think in general it is just more of a natural 
um, rest position, which was cool for me to see when she was a super newborn, because even though she had a tongue tie, her tongue was on the roof of her mouth a lot. So mm, truthfully, it's, it, yeah. And it's like, it's natural for that to be what our body wants to do. Um, which is just so cool. If you think about things from like an evolutionary perspective of like, mm -hmm. that's what works for yeah. development. Um, but, but yeah, so it's, it takes nose breathing a little step further. Um, then I think a lot of people realize. So, yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah. I feel like that's become a very popular thing that people are talking about, especially yes. for sleep. But like you said, it goes so much further beyond that. We know that it goes into jaw development. Like you can see kind of profiles of you tend to have more of an overbite if you're a mouth yes. breather and just like so many of these developmental things where I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, mm -hmm. we, we look at these primitive cultures and their lifestyle and the lack of processed foods and the very high nutrient density and like their jaw structure is just completely different. So obviously I know it's not just lifestyle in terms of breath. It's has a lot to do with nutrition and yes. all of this great stuff, but it's such an interesting topic and it's really cool to watch you implement so many of these cool things. And it'll be so cool to see how Morgan turns out in terms of her <laughs> development. And, you know, our kids are going to be so much better off than we were not saying our parents did anything wrong, but I feel like we're just gaining so much more knowledge. And as we kind of evolve and realize how much just more optimal that we can be, that it's, it's just yeah. really cool. As long as we're aware of these things for, to see what the future holds. Yeah. I don't know. The nineties were a special time. <laughs> yeah. The low fat movement yep. and yep. Yeah. all the things that make me cringe, but yeah. I'm sure you One, do too. Well, I, we, I could sit here and talk to you all day. I know you've been holding your baby this whole time. And I was like, it's yeah, okay. it'll only go 30 minutes. And yeah, right. Anytime okay. that you sit us down, we're going to talk way more than 30 minutes. So <laughs> I am so sorry to go. Don't be sorry. She's in the wrap. So she's all cozy. It's all good. She's been so good. She's yeah, she 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 definitely fell asleep. Oh, see, oh, her tongue's on the floor of her mouth, so I'm gonna close it. <laughs> um, one thing I did just kind of want to say towards the end, um, is I have to figure out how to word this. Um, I don't want, I don't ever want anything I share or anything a parent learns to like make them feel bad at all, yes. because. And I know you and I have talked about this. I know you've mentioned it on other podcasts, but you only know, you can only do the best you can with the information you have at the time. Right. Um, so I never, ever want to talk to somebody or work with somebody and educate them on these things and want them to feel bad because they didn't know that beforehand or, oh my gosh, I, I let my baby sleep in the car seat for the whole day and things like that. Like, it's okay. You learn and you do better. Um, so I just wanted to kind of wrap up with that because I don't, sometimes I feel like sharing my knowledge may make people feel like they've done something wrong as a parent. No, and that's yeah. not it at all. Because I mean, I'm new at this. I'm a new parent. I don't do things perfectly either, but, um, nobody, I, does. nobody does. Absolutely not. And like, you're, kids don't expect you to. They just, they love you for who you are and that's all they care about. Um, so, you know, parents are doing a great job, even if you didn't know about tongue ties, even if you didn't know the things that we talked about in terms yep. of development. Um, but you know now, so exactly. go forth and <laughs> spread the knowledge. Exactly. And that pertains to anything new yes. in health that you learn. And, you know, when I kind of got down the rabbit hole of all the seed stuff and transitioning is like, well, you know, it's so easy yeah. to oh my gosh, I was 
really hurting myself and you just negative self-talk where it's like, no, it's okay. I know better. Now I can do better. And it's, that's just kind of the mindset that you have to have. And especially I think when kids are in the mix, I think parent guilt is a huge thing. And so I'm really glad that you brought that up. If people didn't know before, then, you know, they have new information that they can implement and take into the world and just do better with. And that's what it's all about. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, um, I know I shared kind of where we can find you before, but for to catch people up to speed, where yeah. can people find you? How can they uh, connect with you? Where, where yeah. uh, so, we link to? Um, anybody local to Southern New Hampshire or Northern Mass, when I get that CFT knowledge and everything up and running, um, we can definitely connect and like do some body work with your babies and kiddos. So that's super exciting. That's something that will come on my website um, when that's ready. But my website is livefreelynourished.com. My Instagram is the same as that. And I'm just, I'm kind of in this phase of refiguring out where I want to focus. Um, And I think a lot of it is going to be back on that um, infant development type of track. and, you know, prenatal, postnatal nutrition, because that's always a passion of mine. So any of those topics that you're interested in getting some help with or getting more knowledge with and working with somebody, um, feel free to reach out. My email is also the same, but it's also on my website. It's just livefreelynourished at gmail.com. So perfect. that's me. And thank you so much for having me on again. I loved talking about things a little bit different. Yeah, me too. And I'm, I'm just so thankful for your friendship, your knowledge. I mean, all of this great stuff and seeing you as, as a friend, seeing you in this really exciting new time in your life has been really, really awesome for me. And I hope to meet her in person very soon, hopefully. We'll have to, and, we'll have to bring her um, to a retreat. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, I'm just, I'm so thankful to, you know, learn so many things that I need to kind of start thinking about a little bit more. So I appreciate your, your wealth of knowledge and Absolutely. obviously taking the time to hold her while we do this whole podcast. I mean, <laughs> you're a true superstar. Well, you reach out with any questions, anybody reach out with any questions at any point. I have a huge new passion for pregnancy, birth, infant development. So I'm always an open book um, and happy to ask any, be asked any questions. So Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. You enjoy the rest of your day, mama, and we will be in touch soon. Sounds good. Thank you. Bye.